It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast, where we are going beyond today. We're going one step beyond and looking at an episode of, of that series. This is Matt here. Coming back again is John Arminio. Howdy. Hey, it's uh, great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, we're having our, our weird little side trip into a pretty Twilight Zone contemporary show, 1959 to 1961's One Step Beyond. Um Today, we'll look at an episode called The Navigator. Uh, you, you said you actually chose this one because it has like tall ships and you're like the Twilight Zone doesn't touch that era often. Yeah. So Yes, there, there is between the two series. There's a lot of commonalities for, for sure. But um, a, a tale of ships at sail uh, is, is not one that Rod Sterling touched on that to my knowledge, at least. I don't know of one, although uh, the fourth season of the Twilight Zone is something I know very little about, so yeah. I could stumble into one. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Um, uh, as for this one, though, I guess I'll go ahead and do a bit of the trivia. Uh, the original air date was April fourteenth, nineteen fifty nine. As with all One Step Beyond episodes, this was directed by narrator John Newland. Writing credits go to Merwin Gerard, Don Mankiewicz, Lawrence B. Marcus. Gerald and Marcus mostly wrote for One Step Beyond, and it's the, the later, the next step beyond, though Marcus also has writing credits on Witness for the Prosecution and the Stuntman. Don Mankiewicz was the son of Herman Mankiewicz, the legendary Mank of Citizen Kane fame. First mate Water Blake was played by Don Dubbins. He found early typecasting as the young cadet in films like From Here to Eternity and The Kane Mutiny. Later, he'd hit that TV guest groove where he showed up in shows as varied as The Twilight Zone and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. To Murder, she wrote Dynasty and as many 60 Westerns as you can shake a stick at. Robert Ellenstein played Captain Peabody at age 35. Not the elderly captain we're seeing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ellen Seed appeared in many TV golden age shows, such as Robert Montgomery Presents, Perry Mason, and Mission Impossible. He'd also appear in films such as North by Northwest. And for us genre fans, he was the Federation president in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Olan Sul was our spectral navigator. While he doesn't speak here, he was deep in voiceover work, often providing the animated voice of Batman from the late 60s to the early 80s. He also lended his voice to the English dub of Fantastic Planet. He appeared as an actor in pretty much every show I listed for those first two guys, along with a list of other shows so long it was just intimidating and I gave up. It was just that this yeah. weaky brick that went on for like, 20 lines just of shows i'm like i'm not even gonna touch that <laughs> and i think this this whole crew was on um, perry mason at one time or another it seemed like 
when I was everybody was on Perry Mason. Yeah. Yeah. Gunsmoke and Perry Mason. You know, just that it was like you were required to be on those shows or mm-hmm. something. That's how that's how you got your your um your SAG card. card. Yeah. <laughs> it was like like in the nineties and two thousands, it was like uh appear on Law and Order. Yeah, yeah. Then CSI, I guess, you know, seventies yeah. you got the the love boat or uh or um fantasy island choose one so <laughs> i don't know what 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 show do you we do we don't really have a show that just everyone shows up on eh, not anymore made it too confusing because like you don't even know half the yeah. shows that exist now there's 10 shows you'd love and have never heard of at this point probably yeah, and and be, because those those law and orders and those csis were constantly rerunning those unknown actors could count on residuals actually right what an idea. No, I've seen a post recently of people posting their residual checks. There's like you get a check for like you know 12 cents. Yeah. <laughs> and that looks worth cashing. So yeah. <laughs> um John, I have thrown up a prologue. Uh you can read it any way you want. I, I don't really think anyone's looking for a John Newland impression, but if you wanted to rock that, you you could. I don't think so. I have that in my uh in my I house. I don't know if anyone would catch it anyway. So yeah. no, no slight on the guy. He just doesn't have yeah. the iconic presence of a Rod okay. Serling. But uh, we still get a prologue. So uh, All right. carry it away. From the very earliest day, the sea and the unknown have been linked in men's minds. The strange fire-breathing monsters which, with which map makers filled in unknown areas have proved to be the figments of their imagination. Most of the strange tales of the sea have yielded quite reasonable explanations, but others are part of that irreducible mystery for which every man is free to devise his own explanation. Devise one, that is, if he can. All right. Um, One thing I really like, kind of maybe even the basic premise of this episode, is uh, you can't apply land logic to what happens at sea, (laughs) which I thought was kind of a cool way to think about it. have you have you been boating much or even spent um, time at, at sea? Not really. I mean, like I, I fished uh, quite a bit with my grandfather um, when I was a kid, but that was mostly like on lakes. But, you know, my dad was in the Navy, so I've always had sort of a fascination with uh, long ocean voyages. And I've been obsessed with Moby Dick uh, since I was like 20 so those kind of stories always have a a draw to me um one that i really like that is less well known is uh the boats of glenn carrig by william hope hodgson he was sort of a peer of hp lovecraft in the weird fiction genre um but without all of the <laughs> um incredible racism i guess okay. i was about to say is racism the word you're looking for here? yeah yeah um pathological racism is is what i was looking for um so it, it's it's about uh a ship that the, the glenn carrig that sort of wanders off into sort of realms unfathomable and the the lifeboats manned by various crew members that that sort of tried tried to work their way through this um you know, unknown reality. Uh, it's it's really good, very strange, but very good. Uh, highly recommended if you like stories like uh, like the Navigator. 
Yeah, yeah, because I was, you know, my brain went to more of the master and commander and Horatio yeah. Hornblower stuff. I, I have a damn the defiant. I, I have a soft spot for those movies. Um, yeah, for sure. Because you got, you know, you got like Captain Blood with Errol Flynn. Great movie. Mm -hmm. Love it. But there's a different flavor to sort of the, um, I guess, command and rank sort of tall ship stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Captain Peabody in this one is definitely modeled after an Ahab type figure. Like a guy who's probably too old um, to be doing this, but um, still is like clinging on to his job, um, but also has an incredible wealth of knowledge about what he's doing. I was going to say he's quite gruff, especially with the um, the chorus change thing. It yeah. does seem like he's like the villain is going to be your your bly or whatever. Right. But yeah, he's just kind of, you know, old and grumpy like he does generally know what he's doing you know because if yeah. you if you go to sleep at night wake up and the course has been like weirdly supernaturally changed uh, and you don't know that at first right so obviously you're gonna have a bit of a uh head of steam on you so <laughs> yeah 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 i mean you do definitely like the the way the story sort of shifts sympathy i think is really interesting just because you know, like you're opened, the opening has the first mate Blake talking about how he's observing the captain. So he, you already are clued into the fact that he's sort of a spy, although you don't really have the context as to how that works. And then you it's see the a captain, corporate spy, you know, like a mystery yeah. shopper. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and 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 to see you know Captain Peabody's um, gruffness, you're you're also you're also sort of like on Blake's side because this guy is a little bit um, seems like he's a little off his rocker, but but then once you get into the fact that um, everybody seems to be just trying their best to navigate through these waters, it, it, the story does do a good job of like reeling you in. I think. Pun intended. Yeah, absolutely gonna, yeah okay I, I was gonna call the captain at sea anyway so uh, yeah <laughs> uh you know for for us trekkies i was just thinking about how much this kind of like you could track this and change this easily to a uh like a 60s you know original series star trek episode mm -hmm. but they always have the commodores or ambassadors that are a little seedy so okay we've got this this guy spying on him you know the signal yeah. That, you know, it's some telepathic alien thing of, instead of just the, the unexplained supernatural thing. I, I do like the C version for sure, but uh, it yeah. is, I, I guess it's like how there's what, eight archetypal stories and you follow one of them, so. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of my favorite turns in the story as opposed to, you know, when it's juxtaposing like land logic and land morality with the law of the sea, is when um, they discover this lifeboat of shipwrecked sailors and the captain sort of challenges Blake, like what would the company have you do? Like, are you like, are you going to be a company man? Or are you going to be a sailor? And like, it's clear that the company would have the ship leave the men to drown because rescuing them is going to be dangerous and put company property at risk. Um, but that goes against like the laws of decency and and the laws of the sea um 
And so Blake would be disgusted by doing that. And so he says, no, we have to uh, rescue these people. And that also tracks to um, a mirror of Moby Dick, because one of the famous scenes of Moby Dick is Ahab refusing to help look for um, the son of a fellow captain who whose uh, whaleboat has been lost. And so, you know, the, this other captain asks Ahab to search for this lost whaleboat. Ahab refuses because he has to go on his quest to save Moby Dick. Um, so, so any way I can connect this story <laughs> to Moby Dick is, um, it, well, I'm, I'm going to take that opportunity. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, looking from today's perspective, it's it's nicer to see people where they're just shipping cargo than uh, whaling whales. But yeah, <laughs> although who knows what's in the cargo? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that is one of the interesting things about Mo- Moby Dick. If uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on a tangent now. Um is that there are a couple instances of the men, like uh, when they're distilling the blubber out of the whales, it's it's described as if it's hell. Like, gotta smell Mel- like it. Yeah, Melville <laughs> was very aware and acknowledged the barbarity and brutalism that their endeavor sort of acquired, and so it's not like this glorious quest for money and fame as we go conquer the world. It's, it's really revolting what, what we're doing. And, and I think that's one of the many interesting things about, about the book. Yeah. This one does seem like a little bit cleaner. how do you feel about yeah. the uh, production? Cause we've got the TV show production trying, you know, and a tall ship is not like a cheap endeavor. So they're trying to walk the line between simple sets and yeah. Uh, it's- <laughs> It's pretty janky. Um, yeah. Like in, in the hold, uh, there's they're sort of like leaning against a support timber, and you can just see like the cheap paint that's just dried on on the set. Like it, it's, I mean, it's like a, it's like a community stage play. <laughs> yeah, community. yeah, basically. I mean, in this case, a good community play because I, I do think the acting's generally solid, even though. Yes. Um, I, I, yeah, when I was like seeing that the guy playing Captain Peabody was actually 35 at the time, I was like, yes, of course he was. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that is a weird thing in um, TV of this era. It seemed like they were very willing to cast younger actors to play old people um, and just put them in like fake looking white wigs and white beards. So I don't know what that was about. And um, I, I think Twilight Zone typically... Uh, avoided that trope like they were it was willing to cast actual old people in old people roles but so i don't know what what the cause of that sort of casting trend was at the time we did recently hit like a major outlier with that which i'm I'm actually staring at my list for which which one that was maybe it was still valley where the guy was like you know like really not that old <laughs> yeah uh with i mean people, uh, again man? the parallel Parallel to Moby Dick, Gregory Peck was like in his 30s when he played Ahab. Yeah, he's yeah. Supposed, he's supposed to be 60. And um, I, I think the Moby Dick comparisons are apt. Like I, I came in hot on the um, I guess on the the British Navy thing. So it yeah. is interesting how um that you know it's kind of the same genre of thing, but there is I, I guess it's the command structure that's the complete difference because Moby Dick is more of a privatized ship, right? Mm-hmm. So he does what he wants, whereas 
on in the this seems to be kind of somewhere in between where i guess it's like a, a you know a merchant ship right so it's got yeah. kind of a command structure but it's not like out there for you know to actually do military work or something yeah yeah i i, I do think whaling ships were real outliers because their voyages were so long like there were three or four years uh so the captain was like god to <laughs> to you because he could do whatever the hell he wanted as long as he got whale oil and got the ship back but with a merchant ship you know they had you know this one is crossing the north atlantic so i'm assuming it's going from london to new england and that's a straight shot that's like six weeks um so that's that's a big difference uh, and whereas you know with military you're sort of expected to uphold to general orders and and the command structure i guess that's part of the appeal of uh the whole bounty situation because you get a little bit of both it's a yeah. military ship with a command structure but it's also on a very long voyage where the captain is well the whole problem is uh they perceive him as being wanting to be god right so yeah uh, <laughs> uh of course and then i i find pitkern island like fascinating too I, i'll stare at maps and go down on google and and that's one place where i you know i checked out a few videos of people that have visited on youtube or just like mm. kind of it's such an interesting place no far away from I'm not, anything. I don't but, know if I'm Pitcairn Island. What's it's it's about the most isolated island you can get. It's in the South Pacific, and that's where the oh, mutineers okay. of the um bounty ended oh, up okay, with their okay. with their sure. new Tahitian wives, and yeah. their descendants sure. are still living there. Nice. So uh, I think there's maybe like 50, 60 people. No mm-hmm. beach. You have to like make this rocky landing and get on or off the island. And it's just like a weirdly fascinating place. So. Um, of course, I'm I'm weird. I'll go and like, hey, there's a pizza place on the island. Then I'll look, start yeah. looking up like their website and stuff. But they still have a website. I'm like, just, wow, it's that's fast. It's like you know the one of the corners of the earth, you know. So yeah, but that's one of my weird fascinations. What what else have I recently? I, I watched videos on what Nuke uh, Greenland, uh, you know, just like really out there places. So fascinate mm-hmm. me that you know how people would live out there. So so I guess a yeah. boat is along those lines. <laughs> yeah um I, I always remember um my dad was stationed in a place called diego garcia which is about as close to pitcairn island as you can get and still be on a navy base and so um they made up hard rock cafe diego garcia t-shirts and handed them out to, to people so just as, as a sort of an inside joke yeah yeah that's very inside because i walking down the street i mean well i, I might notice the name for different reasons but uh yeah <laughs> but you'd just be like yeah sure why not there's a hard rock there <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'd be it'd be a lot more suspicious now if his planet hollywood right so yeah <laughs> um how many red herrings did you go for in this episode because th- this one's definitely like throwing um yeah. red herrings at you sort of yeah. sort of like the muppet fish guy right <laughs> yeah for 25 minutes it is jam-packed with red herrings because you know i i kind of thought that um maybe the captain what well, first i thought the blake the first mate was gonna have chalk in his pocket that that the real perpetrator had sort of sur- surreptitiously planted it on him um, as a, another way to sort of sow discord between the, the first mate and the captain, but that was not the case. Um, 
his spy ID seemed to do that anyway, which is yeah. obviously why he actually did not want to empty his pocket. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, weird for a spy to have ID that identifies him as a spy. Corporate spy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I to do work for the show, I think if it ever came time for Blake to take command from Peabody, he would have to show that he was lawfully allowed to do so by uh, the owners. So I thought, right. okay, that that makes sense why he would he would have ID in case he needed to just strip the captain of command. Um and and I thought that, you know, when they found the stowaway, like it seems so obvious to have him have the chalk that in I wasn't expecting. Yeah, that I wasn't <laughs> expecting him to have the chalk, but there he had it. But but I think it works with the story because then you're like, well, where the f- did this guy come from? Oh, I was just uh, thinking the, about how creepy this guy looked. Um, yeah. Again, the actor, I guess the actor was not, I mean, he showed up lots of places. Uh, what was his name again? To, to, Al- oh, Alain Soul. But he yeah. just had such a creepy vibe, which makes sense since he does turn out to be like a ghost. Mm. Yeah, we don't get much of him, but he does make a real impression. And I think that's one of the strengths of the episode that we we don't need to know like what his deal is immediately. So we just like see him, we're kind of creeped out by him, and then we move on. And it's just through the reactions of the actors seeing his body later that we're sort of given the import of what his presence means. Yeah, because um, that he he's like six build on the on the episode, and of course in trivia, I just didn't feel the need to look at three, four, and five, right? Yeah. Um, one because number three is uh, I don't quite remember the guy's name. But it was like this is his only film or only credit on screen. I'm like, okay, that's there's not much wiki there. So, um, and I will say that, that doing just to, for the behind the scenes, uh, it's a little harder to find this trivia than it is for the Twilight Zone. For, yeah. Yeah, you know, Probably there's obvious reasons. <laughs> there's books called Guide to the Twilight Zone that have been written, you know. Well, actually, a BC Twilight Zone a companion. Guide, a BC who's done some of these episodes, he he did find a one step beyond companion book. So uh oh, wow. you, you can find that sort of thing. It's out there, but I don't have that. So uh yeah. I'm just you know doing the doing the internet shuffle to find some of this stuff. Um you you mentioned the reaction to the the corpse that mm-hmm. is the stowaway. So I thought, I mean, the captains make sense. He just had kind of, uh, and let's, let's put this under the rug. I pri- kind of like, I've seen this before, you know, yeah. like this is nothing new to him. Whereas Blake just flips out. Yeah. He freaks out. I, I like, I like that turn that he's just like, no, no, no. Like he just can't handle it. Like he, he it's he it's like a, we're witnessing that his cognitive dissonance just like break his brain because he, he you know th- this isn't how the world's supposed to work uh, <laughs> that I, that I'm seeing the corpse of a guy that I just saw uh you know 20 minutes ago um and he then has to sort of depend on Peabody to like get him through that like that existential crisis. Yeah, I am wondering. I mean, I guess we can't honestly say what our reaction would be in that situation, but yeah. I just feel like, well, that that's a hell of a thing. Seems yeah. <laughs> that's the first thought that went through my mind, at least. But yeah. I, I'm watching a TV show. I'm not on the boat, so um, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say my my. Uh, I asked you earlier about your seagoing experience. I don't have that much, but one summer I, I was teaching at like the whale camp, and we'd get on a a, a lobster boat or a like a schooner. Of course, the schooner is cooler. So, um, oh yeah. But the most interesting 
most interesting thing I found is on deck, I did not get seasick. I remember on a very choppy day, uh, me and a couple of kids being at the prow of the boat, like, wow, like it's a roller coaster. Everyone yeah. else like vomiting off the sides back on the on the deck. But second I went under the deck, I'd like start feeling nauseous. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. I guess I need to see yeah. the horizon, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it has to do with, you know, your your movement as opposed to what your eyes are seeing. Mm. That's why, like, you're more prone to get car sick if you're trying to read or something rather than the driver. Like, the driver never gets car sick. It's the the passenger. Yeah. I mean, I assume everyone, including Blake, at least has their sea legs in this situation. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I obviously, obviously, Blake is not a newbie in terms of being on a boat. He's the first mate, right? But he's a newbie and I guess, you know, like, not deep sea, but, uh, you know, out there in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Weirdness. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that the the deckhands have been all at sea for as long as the captain. So so th that that was a reality sometimes you, like a junior officer would be pretty green compared to the people that he was in charge of. So that was always a source of tension. And since Blake is sort of a spy, he definitely doesn't have the seagoing experience as some of the other mates. Yeah, I'm wondering about the ages, like like you mentioned, because I know, again, British Navy, they'd have, you know, they'd start bringing the captain's kids on at, like at age 10 yeah. and they'd be a lieutenant at age 15 or yeah. 16. Right. So but a merchant ship, I, I guess, wouldn't I mean, would it have I, I wonder how young a, a merchant ship would rate in the in the 19th century? Yeah, I'm not sure, because, you know, um, I'm not sure when exactly this is taking place, but definitely in the 18th century. um you would purchase your commission so you could just buy your way into the military and be a lieutenant um so that led to some pretty incompetent officers unfortunately um but but this seemed to be more in the 19th century like almost to the age of steam so i'm not sure if that practice was i don't think that practice was still around and and yeah i think with a merchant ship you would have to apply like I'm, I'm sure I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how, how merchant navies work actually. So I'll shut up. No, I'm just sitting here thinking that um, again, again uh, this is more British Navy. You have a 30 year old guy who knows nothing and has purchased his commission. Then you got a yeah. 16 year old who's the same rank who looks like a kid and he's actually experienced. So that, that, that would have to be might, might bit confusing. Yeah. <laughs> who do you yeah, trust? It, it was. Which, I, yeah. I guess that's part of the thing in this episode, though. Who do you trust, right? Yeah. The guy with experience, the guy who is from corporate, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the the st the stowaway who is a ghost, you know. <laughs> I mean, I guess you have to trust the ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, can't the most trustworthy person on the ship. Ghost of the most, yes. Uh, were there any other big observations you wanted to throw out on this episode before I I run into our line of questioning? Um. I really liked at the end um, when Peabody asks Blake what his report's going to say, and Blake says, what report, Captain? Uh, and you could see on Peabody's face that he's just really touched, that Blake has sort of like been brought into the brotherhood of sailors, that he's choosing the ship and the captain over his corporate overlords. I, th I thought that was a really great moment. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I guess that's why this episode works, because that's kind of the crux of it. Like these 
two guys learning to trust each other. And yeah. then you get the, I mean, the ghost story is basically like some seasoning, right? And a, and a yeah. source of conflict when no one knows what's going yeah. on. So, yeah. Because I, I do think um, as much as this has the same format as a Twilight Zone, I think Twilight Zone episodes are much meatier than these. Like I've, I've seen a few in the lead up to this podcast, I watched a few other episodes of one step beyond and, and I like it, but it's definitely, it's definitely, um, it doesn't stick around in, in your brain as much as the Twilight Zone episode does. Yeah. One, I will say of the few I've watched, this one probably did stick in my brain the most. Mm -hmm. Um, before this, we recorded the Avengers, which I guess is probably last week's episode, which again, good, but that one definitely felt like less meaty. Uh, This one, I guess, uh, again, it appeals to my watching tall ships, fifties tall ship movie thing. Yeah, so that's sure. that's that's there. That helps. But one big difference is one step beyond is like, oh, this is an actual case. So they're like the weirdness of the case is enough, and the rest of it yeah. can just be like typical TV drama. Well done, typical TV drama. But it, yeah, it certainly doesn't get to the existential dread level of the Twilight Zone, whereas uh, especially a good one. Whereas, tw- yeah, Twilight Zone can sink or swim in its own merits well uh, one step beyond there's this pretense of ripped from the headlines of a psychologist will tell you yeah <laughs> i do like that um i what one of one of my favorite movie things ever is um the board bill murray and ghostbusters 2 with his mm. his television show where he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> been doing yeah. it he's clearly just like checked out on yeah. it completely uh john newland here clearly has not checked out he he stands yeah. behind it but um yeah. i know in general ghostbusters 2 is not considered that great a film but i really just love where we find bill murray at the beginning of that film yeah totally and i'll also throw out that when we watched them a few years ago for some reason my wife and daughter liked two better than one which i did I, i'm like what <laughs> they're like the baby was cute i'm like okay <laughs> i i think um ghostbuster ghostbusters 2's biggest fault is that it has to follow ghostbusters well um, I, I, I think it's a really good movie I, I i do like watching too but um harold ramus was uh I, I think he later excuse me harold ramus at some point said the, the problem or it might have been reitman but they were like the problem is the first one is really about starting a business and ghostbusters oh, yeah. 2 is about ghosts so that's the difference you know if it's not yeah. about tr- trying to run your janky business you've yeah. lost your special sauce <laughs> yeah, in the same way that the navigator is about the trust between these two men not really about the ghost yeah yeah the ghost is definitely you know uh, that's our MacGuffin here basically right so yeah <laughs> a, a weird creepy man is is the MacGuffin, which i guess <laughs> makes sense first question who in this episode took the one step beyond um yeah i would say i would say blake because i think everybody else is already in the beyond they're already willing to accept the the physics of the sea or it, but it's blake who has to go there that's basically where i was going I, I i just like that especially watching this episode the second time how much the captain is like yeah this is what happens deal with it yeah <laughs> like he's like not he's um not plussed at all he's non-plussed i don't really know how the dude are supposed to work that uh, i don't know if i've ever used that in conversation before <laughs> but 
that's part of the charm of the episode that yeah these guys are already all beyond man it's just it's just yeah. blake needs to catch up so i do like that <laughs> yeah um does he need to take the step beyond or should he do his job as a as a corporate shill <laughs> uh i'm definitely on the side of not being a corporate shill uh i i appreciate going all in on being one of the, the brothers of this of this uh seagoing vessel yeah i made that one a bit of a leading question yeah. there and so i guess i already answered it myself i mean you can't get through a decent well yeah i guess you could do a comedy where he stays the corporate show and then you know yeah. falls overboard or something so uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know like they could have had him be like you you could have dynamicized this a bit different where he could have been like absolutely ranked scumbag so and probably yeah. still had the same episode put a, put up a little more of a fight about the fact that they're gonna yeah i mean you could tweak the episode if you wanted um i doubt we have character studies of the people that were actually involved with this incident i assume that's all just you know written for the screen so you could take yeah. a variety of options there um how about the trip a meter zero is not trippy at all five is extremely trippy where would you like to place this? Um, if you're if you're Blake, it's a five. <laughs> like he he can barely stand when he he sees the 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 corpse of the the guy who was the ghost. Um, but for the captain, it's like a one or a two. He's like, yeah, it's kind of weird, I guess. <laughs> How about but, for you watching the episode? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I was expecting some supernatural shenanigans, so I, I would say a two. That's fair enough. You? Um, I find more and more as I I do this that the the genre has a fair amount to inform what my tripometer score is. Like, mm -hmm. if it's kind of trippy, it's a western. The western actually drags. Not saying that shouldn't be or that that it's bad, but the Western drags the score down a little bit. I think a okay. tall ship in the fog and the ice maybe kicks it up a little bit for me. Okay, yeah. So um, the, the atmospherics kick it up for me to a mm -hmm. three, I would say. Um, sure. But yeah, that's because I'm thinking of, you know, ice cold air and like you could feel the ice, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, well, Blake couldn't, but the captain can because he's an old sot. So um see have weird... you seen uh amc's the terror from a few years ago i don't know i don't believe i have um it's uh a really great like horror miniseries um here in Hines, isn't it and it's about a ship like an actual ship that was caught in the ice in the arctic on exploration expedition uh and weird stuff happened everybody dies it's terrible <laughs> and and so like we don't really know what happened and so it's sort of a fictionalized uh accounting of it and um maybe they got killed by eskimos maybe that all they all got eaten by polar bears um but violent deaths occurred so if if it's it's probably been taken out of streaming circulation but if you can find it amc's a terror very good right yeah 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 yeah, uh, and then in my weird places, YouTube viewing, I definitely have gone to the other side of the world for the uh, you know South Pole Station and Edmonton stuff, and 
I want yeah. like I want to see the music room at the South Pole Station. I find that weirdly fascinating. So yeah, <laughs> rocking out at the bottom of the world. That's that sounds that sounds cool. <laughs> but that's again, that's the appeal. Maybe that's like I said, the isolation thing and the isolation mm-hmm. of being on a ship at sea. For me, that's also adds just a touch to trippiness. Like. I just like, how do you live out there? You know, that, that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah, how do you not go crazy? Yeah. So that sort of thing, I guess, just builds in for me, like a little more mysteriousness, which is maybe part of the allure of this kind of tale. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, final thoughts on this. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, uh, discovering this, this series that I, I knew existed, but I had never watched before. Um, and, and I'm always glad to discover a new tale of the sea. So thank you. Who's your captain at sea? I got uh, Russell Crowe, Gregory Peck, uh, Alec Guinness came, went to sea once. Uh, um, you cannot choose Picard because that was just a holodeck simulation. You have to choose a, an actual yeah, sea captain. I, 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 <laughs> um, I wouldn't want to be at sea with Gregory Peck. I mean, real Gregory Peck, of course, um, <laughs> but but not as Ahab. I would say um, Russell Crowe uh, from Master and Commander, for sure. Yeah, I guess that has the uh, benefit of being a much later movie that uh, mm-hmm. where you're, you're supposed to be able to identify with him a little more and yeah. where they maybe have, you know, reverse bounced a bit of the Star Trek vibe. <laughs> yeah. Since, you know, from especially Khan, there's a the Horatio Hornblower in space thing. And by the mm-hmm. time Master and Commander is made, that's definitely got it had to be on their minds at least a little bit. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Have that dynamic. So that, man, yeah. Besides that, have we really had any like, major seagoing movies this century <laughs> i guess it wasn't successful enough i i love that movie but yeah 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 it, it did not do well at the box office unfortunately but it's a movie that like literally everybody likes so i don't know what happened yeah i guess it's just like the the act maybe it's one of the last movies where the action in the movie was at like normally paced and things like that mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it's a pretty slow movie not in a bad way just in a you know we're not we're not rushing and we're not jump cutting. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a movie that, that takes time to examine all the little critters on the Galapagos islands, but that's part of why I love it. Yeah. 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 Well, that's your, that's your way mission, isn't it? <laughs> um, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, John, if you could tell us where you're at, uh, I'm going to try. I always screw up the name because of popcorn Escaton. There it is. Yeah. I got it. Okay. There we nice. go. I've, I've actually stressed out the past few weeks since we did the last podcast. I have to be able to recall this name from memory. So also because it's a cool word. If you could tell us a bit yeah, about it, that it podcast. Is. Yeah, the I mean it has good um SEO value because nobody uses that word, but it's also just hard to say. Uh yeah, my podcast is Popcorn Escaton. Uh we talk about uh spirituality and leftism in movies. Uh, we just did an episode on John Sales's Matewan and Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. It's all about unions and stuff. It's good. And I'm on social media at Quasar Sniffer. Um, find me. Yell at me. Tell me I'm stupid. I dare you. I want to know what it smells like. What's a Quasar smell like? Um, the, na- the, the nascent energies of the universe. Okay. It's kind of a cop out, but I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is Time Enough Podcast. We are that on on the x do i have to say that now okay no and, uh, absolutely not on, <laughs> on twitter on, forever i'm on, on the artist formerly known as twitter <laughs> I, I, 
I do like that they put the sign up and had to take it right back down. That, that was fantastic. <laughs> um, also on Facebook and on Patreon, you can support us a bit at Podcastio Podcastius. We do this. You get the episodes early. We talk about what are supposed to be really good films and what are supposed to be really bad films, alternating from week to week on films and filth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting. Uh, they're called Disney. And guess what that's about? Looking at the weird side of Disney and the video game ones. Luke Lowe's Pokemon Hyrule Field Report about Zelda games and the game game show. Okay, cut myself off. You know, you do the plug and sometimes you're like, I, I, I want this plug to end. <laughs> <laughs> like a little tape player in your brain, right? <laughs> All right. Well, it was a dark and stormy night at sea. That's the right way to end a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Between rocks and the bars place A devil in the deep blue trees Just when the hover comes out and Sugar Chubas in Galilee Sea The joy of so many rainbows To chase still tripping over our streets In this place where mirrors don't lie, long time shall erase Got a glimpse of my original face Beat that the build is broken Yonder headline reaches as a whale Light buzzing, walk on water Galloping up a gale The joy of so many Tap!